want to remind us of why we come to church. Why do we walk in these doors? As you uh, may have noticed, you probably haven't, um, the doors are painted red. There's a reason why traditionally church doors are painted red. It's a reminder that when we enter in, we are covered by the blood of Christ. This is a community of blood-bought believers, believers who gather under the forgiveness of Christ, those who are forgiven um, because of what Christ has done. And when we leave, we have a responsibility to take that forgiveness and show the world what Christ has done for us. Our, our hymn just now says, teach us how to love each other. Isn't it interesting that we have to be taught how to love each other? We don't just inherit that from our parents, do we? In fact, my kids, we spend more time than ever dealing with conflict between our children, don't we? It's because they don't come born with this innate sense of, of love. They treat each other poorly because of selfishness. And so that is this morning is kind of the direction we're going, is how do we harvest joy or the joy of the harvest? So Join me in the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible, there's a, a, there should be a Bible under the seat in front of you. But we've been in John for a while, and I'm sad to say we will be wrapping up the Gospel of John and going to Genesis as we continue through um, my plan to give you the whole counsel of God within a year. So the whole counsel of God, I've, I've broken the Bible into genres, and we have a certain amount of genres, and I want to go through the Bible, so that you don't get stuck in just one area of Scripture, but you hear the whole counsel. And part of that means we do jump around a little bit more than some places, but we will continue where we left off in Genesis. So we are going through books of the Bible, we're just not doing it all in one massive chunk. Can you imagine what would happen if we got to Leviticus and we spent the whole book in Leviticus? It would be a little tough. So just know that's why we do it the way that we do. So we are in John. We've been going through John for the last several weeks, and we've been going through this book or this chapter of, of chapter four. And at the end of chapter four, we come to verse 27, and that's where we'll be reading this morning. It says, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? Verse 34, Spurgeon calls the golden sentence. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I am telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. 
Verse 39 says, Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And he told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, your word is such a comfort to us, and it's an encouragement to do the will and the work that you have assigned to us. Lord, as we reflect on Christ this morning and see what Jesus has done, I pray that you would inculcate in us a desire to serve you, a hunger and a thirst for the righteousness that can only be found in Christ. God, I, uh, I come weak and needy to this task. I am fully dependent on you. I cannot do this in my own strength. Uh, nothing I say will matter if you don't put it into the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you, that they would come to know you as, as the Savior of the world and your Son as Savior of the world. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting this week who are sick or ill or, or have family conflict that you would raise up in them a desire to be reconciled, that you would crush the pride that so easily entangles, and that you would cause them to turn away from their wretched behavior. Lord, we ask these things. Father, I'd like to lift up some things from the world that I see that's going on in Canada. There's a lot of unrest. In the Ukraine, there's a possibility of invasion. Uh, Lord, we look at this world and we know that it's, it's not our permanent home, but it is our temporary home. We are pilgrims through it. And so we lift up those nations. Lord, I pray for the believers in the Ukraine that I, I saw the other day sitting or kneeling outside in the snow, praying that your will would be done. And Lord, I, I think about our comfortable building that we get to sit on soft, cushy chairs and we hear the word preached without fear of invasion. Lord, uh, help us to be humbled by this. Help us to recognize our dependence on you. And we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. What I want to point out today from our passage is that you can have joy in the harvest when you do the will and the work of the Father. That's the whole thrust of this passage. So starting in verse 27, you see the disciples return and interrupt this conversation with Jesus when he's talking to the woman at the well. They show up and they uh, are amazed or kind of like, what is Jesus doing? Why is he talking to this woman who's been married five times and is living with her boyfriend? What is going on here is the question. And the disciples, not only that, they show their cultural biases, right? They're like, this lady should not be talking to a rabbi. In fact, if you read the literature at the time, some of the main teachers would say it's a waste of time to teach your daughter the Torah. The, five, the first five books of the Bible. It's a waste of time to teach your, your, your wife or your daughter about religion. That's the thought of the day. Because a woman's work is not to be dealing with these things, these religious things. And so Jesus is taking the time to deal with this woman's heart. Remember last week we talked about how he reveals the heart. He shows her what true worship is. He really cares for her, has compassion on her. And her disciple, or his disciples, of course, miss it. They show up and they're amazed 
But none of them, and this is, this is very unusual. Remember, Peter likes to put his foot in his mouth a lot, right? The disciples tend to say what they think. They're not very good at holding back their thoughts. But it says here that no one said, what do you want? No one chastised this woman. And not only that, they didn't look at Jesus and say, why are you even talking to her? Why are you wasting your time on her? And what we see is that Jesus has compassion on this woman and talks with her and shares who he is. In fact, he reveals to her that he is the Messiah, that he never did that with the Jewish leaders. So this is important to recognize that Jesus is doing something unique. There's a special task that he has, and it's to do the will and the work of the Father. And then verse 28, then the woman left her water jar. Now, some commentators make a big deal of this. And say she leaves the physical water because she has the living water of the Lord and she runs into town to share that living water. And that's why. Or she could just be really considerate, realizing that the disciples don't have a water jar and left it there for them to drink. Or she could have just forgot about that in her excitement to go tell the village that the Messiah has come. The Savior of the world is here. And what we see is that to do the will and the work of the Father requires us to do it by evangelism from within. This is an important thing to, to notice. So the pastor is not the sole minister of the church. The pastor is not the minister of the church. The pastor is to equip you to do the ministry of the word. So this is, an this is something we need to think about. The disciples, they came back from the village. How many people does it say they brought back from the village with them? We don't know anything about it, right? Zero. Zero information. So the disciples went into town to go to Subway to buy some sandwiches because Jesus was hungry and they were hungry. And they are in there, and they're walking around with this, the living God. Jesus is God in human flesh. And they've been with him, and they don't tell anybody, none of the Samaritans, about the Messiah. Yet this woman runs into town and says, look at this. This could be the Messiah. He's told me everything that I have ever done. So she goes in. So the principle that you need to recognize is that God likes to work evangelism from within. So where are you positioned? Where did God place you? Where, what is your circumstances? Maybe you have a bad background. Maybe you have a, um, a, a drug background. God can use that in unique ways that he would never allow me to do. There's a reason why um, I relate good or well with veterans, because I'm a veteran. I can talk the same language. I have the same experiences. And so I can share the good news of Jesus to those who have been through the same things that I have. And so the same thing is for you. So where has God positioned you? Now, you may not like where God has placed you. You may be in a dead-end job. You may think, man, this is a lousy place to be right now, and I'm just waiting for the next good thing. Well, while you're waiting, look for opportunities to share Jesus. And that's what we see because in verse 27, uh, then 28, she leaves the water jar and she goes in. 29 says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, I think it's a little hyperbole. I don't think Jesus spent his whole time talking about from her birth until where she is today. Uh, but recognize her identity is so wrapped up in her sin. Her identity has been so wrapped up in the sin that she had that Jesus, when he exposes it, helps her recognize that she needs something greater than herself. She needs the living water. And so she runs into town. And now what's interesting, 
Why was she at the well in the first place in the middle of the day? Because of her embarrassment, right? She was ashamed of who she was because she didn't want to spend time with the other ladies and have them maybe talk bad about her or embarrass her. But now she runs into town and is like making a declaration. I'm a terrible person. I did all these bad things. You guys all know me. You've, you've all seen me. Yet look at this one that has done everything. So God uses us to do the will and the work of the Father by doing evangelism from within. Verse 31. Well, let's, let's go back to 29. It says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30. They left the town and made their way to him. So now people in the town are coming out to see this likely Messiah, the, the one that she is telling them. And while this is happening, the disciples start encouraging Jesus to eat something. As they say in verse 33, the disciples said to, um, sorry, 32, says, 31. Obviously, I cannot read today. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus is tired from a long journey. He's sitting on the side of the well, and he has a theological conversation. He shares the gospel, the good news of himself with this woman. That would be tiring. If you're thirsty, do you really like to talk a lot? No, you want to drink water. So we don't know if he had some water, if he didn't drink any water, what the conversation was like. But he is worn out, and he has this evangelism opportunity or a counseling session with this woman at the well. Then... He takes the opportunity to educate his disciples. Do you see how Jesus doesn't deal with his own personal needs and wants and desires? He's putting others as more important than himself. And so he says, um, I have food that you don't know about. So he's using this to cause a, a conversation. Just like he talked about physical things with Nicodemus, physical things with the woman at the well. Now he's talking about physical things with the disciples, and they miss the point because there's a spiritual reality behind it. So he says, in verse 33, the disciples miss it. They say, the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Right? They're like, oh man, what does he, what does he mean he has food? Man, we just went into, into town to get food, and now he has food. How did this happen? Right? They're, they're, they, they miss the point, like they always do. But John uses that to move the conversation along because then Jesus says this in 34, my food, if you have the King James, it says my meat. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Now, Charles Spurgeon preached an entire sermon just on this one sentence because he said this is a golden sentence. This is a reality that we all need to look at. Uh, it's good for the Christian to know. It's good for the non-Christian to know. And it's good for us to look on who Christ is. And so let's go ahead and break this down just a little bit. What does it mean to do the will and the work of the Father? Well, we do it by evangelism from within. I've already talked about that, but also by nourishment, drinking the living water. And so Jesus shares how he is motivated. His job is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what Jesus says his job is. And so if you are an unbeliever, if you do not know Jesus, know that Jesus' purpose was to seek and save the lost. That was his mission, was to do evangelism, to save a people to himself. And so God sent him. Now, a lot of people are tempted to say, well, God of the Old Testament 
is harsh and the God of the New Testament seems to be kind and Jesus is, is gentle and lowly. And so we have these two gods or, or two ideas of God. The reality is God sent Jesus. Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. So it's one Godhead. It's not multiple wills happening right now. And so what Jesus says is, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. When we think about Jesus and his job, he came to save the lost. And he said he's going to do his work until completion. And his work was to do what? To die on the cross. He came to die. That's what he came for. He came to die so that sinners could be saved. That woman at the well, he shows physically what that looks like. That he has given up his own wants, his own needs, his own desires for that of this woman. To have this conversation, a spiritual conversation with her. So to do the will and work of the Father means to be nourished by the living water. By the food. So likely he's, he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And we know Deuteronomy 8.3 because we know that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted that against Satan. And what does he say? Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if you go to the whole story, it's the story in Exodus about manna, that God would provide manna every single day. And if you gathered more manna than you needed for that day, it would go rotten on you. And what Jesus or what God was teaching the people of Israel was to trust in him day by day for his food. And that's the same thing that Jesus is talking about here. He's like, I have food that you don't know about because I am feasting on God. I'm, 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 I'm taking my nourishment from the work of the Father, from the Father himself. And so Jesus shows what it looks like to imitate. We must imitate him. In 1 John, uh, I want to read what it says here. It says, 1 John... Uh, chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. Now, First John and, and Second John and Third John are all great companions to read while you are going through the book of John. It's almost like a commentary on the gospel. And chapter 2, verses 3, and, or 3 through 6 say this. This is how we know that we know him. So if you want to know how you know Jesus, if we keep his commands... The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So the question is, are you walking as Jesus walked? Are you doing the will and the work of the Father seeking to save souls, or are you thinking about yourself? Is it all about your business, your company, your information, your pride, your uh, respect, your wants, needs, and desires? Man, I'm, I'm telling you, my children are great sermon illustrations uh, because they show so often what is in our heart, right? They show that we want what we want and we fight. They have been fighting for the last six months over where to sit in the minivan that's what they've been fighting over and so we've tried different things right nobody gets to sit there okay we're going to take turns you're going to sit there the next person is going to sit there 
they still fight over that because they don't remember who sat when, where, why. And then now we're doing rock, paper, scissors. And that was working great until this morning when one of them threw a big fit because it's not fair. I'm always losing. Everybody wants their own stuff. But you know what? This happens in marriage too, doesn't it? This happens in your marriage. This happens at your work. This happens in your relationships with your friends. You're seeking your own will and your own desire over that of someone else every single time. The self, capital S, capital E, capital L, capital F, is controlling what you do. And that's why we get into fights, isn't it? James 4 tells us that the cause of war and fights among us is because our desires are at war with one another. We're not seeking to do the will of the Father. We're seeking to do our own will. We want what makes us happy. The Bible calls that idolatry. We have placed an idol that we want, and we're willing to do anything we can to hurt, to shame, blame, claim, and maim one another. And so we need to focus in on what does it mean to do the will and the work of the Father. I would tell you right now that nine-tenths of your, or nine parts of your problems, nine out of ten of your problems, would clear up if you had this mindset. If you had the same mindset of Christ, nine out of ten of your problems would be cleared up. Because so many of us are depressed. So many of us are anxious. So many of us are, are, are angry. Why is it that we are depressed? Well, because we're not getting what we want. Why are we anxious? Because we're worried about losing what we want. Why are we angry? Because it's my kingdom come. My will be done. That's what we're arguing about. When someone cuts me off in traffic, I get mad, not because they're a terrible driver and they're at risk to the people on the road, because they cut me off in traffic. And so what we see is that, it, that Jesus says, do the will and the work of the Father. His whole life was based on submission to what God has said to do. He wants to come and save the lost. So we have to imitate him. So how do we do this, right? So how do we get nourished on the word and seek for opportunities to do the will and the work of the Father. Well, the first thing is you have to know the will of the Father. You have to know what God's Word says. If you don't know what Scripture tells us, how are you going to do it? I'm going to tell you, though, that's probably not your biggest problem. If you're in this room, you probably know what God's Word says about the situations in your life. Where do you think the problem lies? Let's do a group discussion, because everybody loves group discussions. Where do you think the problem lies? Just blurt out your answer. I'll pretend like I heard you. Yeah, the heart, self. We do not want to do the will and work of the Father. We don't want to do it. Why is it that we love the idea of forgiveness? We love the idea of forgiveness until we have to forgive somebody, don't we? We love forgiveness. Sounds great. But I really don't want to forgive that person for what they did to me. It's because we have a poor view of Christ. It's because we do not see Jesus Christ in Scripture. That Jesus came not to do His will, but to do the will of the Father. And so we come to do our own will, don't we? So how can we be a profitable hearer of the Word? Well, first off, we need to recognize that happiness is doing God's will. If you would be happy, you would obey the Lord. If you really want happiness, you would follow what God's Word says. It's not easy. It's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable sometimes. Sometimes we have to do it against our feelings. But we have to trust that what he says is true. And we do that because we see Christ. 
We see how Christ lived and died. I don't think there's a, a greater joy than, who, than what Jesus had. In fact, it said that Jesus, out of joy, went to the cross. That's what Hebrews tells us. That the joy set before him, he went to the cross. Jo Jesus joyfully died for the Christian. Jesus joyfully died for those who have come to him and put their trust in him. And you can't even joyfully forgive your husband. You can't even joyfully forgive your wife. You can't even joyfully forgive your brother for taking the car seat that you want to sit in. Right? We are miserable because we do not do the will of the Father. So let's be profitable hearers of the Word. That means we need to be in the Word. We need to study the Word. In your bulletin, you probably got a cool little thing called the Apple. Right? Not the Apple Watch. Nobody got a free Apple Watch today. Or an Apple device. But the Apple. So this is a simple Bible study method that you can use. Um, it's in a bookmark shape. So you can just drop that in your Bible and have it as a bookmark. But when you read your Bible, you need to look for these things, the attributes of God. So when you read Scripture, sometimes it can be pretty confusing. There's a lot of information in there. And so one thing you can do is look for the attributes of God. What does it say about God? Who is God? Because if I'm going to trust somebody, I need to know who they are. The second thing is the promises of God. <clears throat> now, there are some promises that do not go to you as a Christian. There are some promises that are uh, temporal. They are based in time. Uh, we, all, we know uh, some of those promises. I'm not going to go into them. But these are promises of God. Some promises, though, is that he will never leave you or forsake you if you are a Christian. We know that in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's a promise. So if you confess your sin, he says he'll forgive you. But not only that, he'll cleanse you of unrighteousness. That's a promise. But you have to be humble enough to con to confess, to submit yourself to the living God. Principles for life. When you read, you can see things that you should not do, right? There's some things you should not do, like go on your palace rooftop and look at ladies taking baths. Those are things you should not do. That's a principle for life. Don't put yourself in positions where you will be tempted. But there's also principles for life about things you should do, right? Seek the Lord that while he may be found. There are principles that you can look for. Lessons learned, right? Obviously, David learned a harsh lesson by going through with Bathsheba by standing on the palace. And then, of course, example to follow. That's just a simple Bible study method that I wanted to give you as you read through Scripture because you are reading through your Bible daily, right? How many of us are on Facebook or Twitter daily? How many of you watch Netflix daily? How many of you are on TV daily? I know I am. So the key is, can we take 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes? Would that be too hard to turn to the living God and get the source of life? Profitable hearer of the word. So then we get to reap the harvest. We get this joy of harvest. Now, how many people in here have a farm? Just go ahead and raise your hands. How many of you grew up on a farm? Let's see that. All right, we got a couple farmers, farmer families. How many of you watched a movie about farming? Saw some TV show about farming uh, or ranching. So I think everybody understands generally what farming looks like. And Jesus 
uses the language of the day to describe these principles. And so we see that his said is my food is to do the will and the work of him who sent me and to finish his work is what Jesus told them. And remember on the cross, Jesus says it is finished. He has done the work by dying on the cross. And then Jesus raised, or God raised Jesus from the dead. And then he jumps into this confusing thing. Verse 35. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? What he's talking about is a, a, is a parable. They say we plant and then four months later we got growth, right? That's when we harvest. And so there's kind of like a saying. Have you ever heard of the saying, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in morning, sailors take warning? Or if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Right? These are our parables of our time. These are the, the phrases we use to describe a principle. And so that's what Jesus is using. He says, don't you say this? Don't you say there are still four more months? Then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Now, I want you to imagine the scenario. The disciples and Jesus are sitting at the well. The woman has run off into town. And as they're sitting there conversing and he's sharing these spiritual principles, they're watching the people come up from the village. Now, if you know anything about that, you would know that the clothes that they're wearing are probably going to be browns and whites. They don't have a lot of dye. And so you see the people showing, coming up, and it looks like it's ripe for the harvest. These people are walking up towards the well from the village. And Jesus says, open your eyes. Or in the Greek, it says, really, look up. So they're talking, they're having their conversation. Jesus says, you know what, look up. Here comes the harvest. The harvest is ready. It is time to harvest. So how do we harvest? Well, that's what Jesus begins to unpack. He says, verse 36, the reaper is already receiving pay. Now we know a reaper is the one that goes and cuts and gathers up the bundles, right? If you farming people would have a better way to explain that. Uh, you gather in the harvest. But then you have those that sowed. 36 says, The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. He says, We are already starting the harvest. So that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. In this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. In the Old Testament, it was considered a bad thing if someone sowed and another person reaped, right? Because it means that you did all the labor of plowing the ground and filling, putting the seeds in the ground and someone else gets the benefit, right? It's kind of like you do all the labor in a business and then someone else gets the money for the business. Right? It's, it's considered not good. But Jesus says, no, this is good because, listen, who are the ones that are doing the sowing? Well, it's John the Baptist. It's the prophets. They sowed the seed of the Word of God. Genesis chapter 3, 15 talks about the coming of Jesus to crush the head of the serpent. So he said, this has all been laid. The foundation has been laid. Now is the time to reap. And we all get the joy of that. He says, some reap and some sow. It's not the same thing. And so when we think about our lives, when we think about our job as Christians, some of you, your job is to sow the seed of the gospel. And some of you, your job is to reap the benefits of it. That may mean that you share the gospel with your sibling, your family member, whoever, and they reject it. They don't, nothing happens. But then 20 years down the road, 
they call you and say, hey, I just got led to the Lord. So-and-so told me about Jesus. And you're like, well, I told you about Jesus 20 years ago, right? But you get to rejoice because of what has happened. That your, your family member is now a believer in Jesus. There is a sowing and a reaping. But he goes even further, and he really explains this sowing and reaping. He says, I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. So he's talking to the disciples. And he says to the disciples, your job is to reap the benefits here. You are to reap this harvest. He's talking about disciple making. And we talk a lot about disciple making in church, don't we? How many people have heard a good definition of disciple making? Well, you may not hear one today, so don't get your hopes up. But I'm going to give you a disciple definition and then what disciple making is. All right. So a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. That's so complicated, isn't it? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. When you follow someone, you listen to, you obey, you do the things that they teach. That's what a disciple is. So a disciple maker is someone who teaches someone else how to follow Jesus. And doesn't that sound so complicated? We really turn it into a complicated thing, don't we? We have all these programs that we do. So to be a disciple maker is to follow Jesus yourself and then help other people follow Jesus. So if you would be part of this harvest, you must be a disciple and a disciple maker. If you would have the joy of the harvest. Now you could be a bad disciple by not doing what Jesus commands, but you may not even be a disciple if you don't do what Jesus commands. That's what we just saw in 1 John. So how are you discipling other people? Our passage really ties in well with Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what we like to forget. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Do you see what a disciple maker does? Teaches them to observe all that I have commanded. So how are we teaching other people to follow the word of Christ? Remember, this woman at the well was not a highfalutin lady. She did not have the social credit score that some of us have. In fact, she was kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, to use another cliche, as many as I can get into one sentence. right? She was not really a great person to be a witness to Jesus Christ. She had a past, didn't she? But I don't think there's anyone in this room that doesn't have a past. I don't think there's anyone in this room that can say that they are perfect. And so our job is to follow Jesus and then make, help other people, make disciples, help other people follow Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it looks like an older person investing their time into a younger person. I'm not saying age only, but also maturity level. That means you check on someone when they seem to be down and out. And you ask them, hey, what's going on in your life? Oh man, I'm 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 just really tired. I, my my work is is complicated, and and I'm having issues with my wife. You say, well, let's meet, let's talk about it. How are you following Christ in your marriage? Oh well, I'm not really. I'm just doing what I want to do, and she does what she wants to do, and it's a great marriage, right? We're just, we're always fighting. Well, that's the problem. You guys are 
going two different ways. Or you, you say, oh, I'm so depressed. Well, why are you depressed? Well, um, my girlfriend is moving out of my apartment. Hmm. Let me, let me, let's talk about how we can follow Christ in this situation. What a, what a great opportunity to get your life back on track, right? You, you, sit, you sit through some of the difficult things with other people. And then, not only that, Jesus illustrates what disciple-making, um, what the harvest looks like. Go ahead and look at verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman had said. Now remember, John has really emphasized this whole believing in him business. John chapter 2, we hear that there was a bunch of people that believed in Jesus because of what he had done. And then it says Jesus did not entrust himself to them. He he didn't trust himself to them, which means that they were not saved. They believed in him because of what they got from him. They thought of, of God as a cosmic vending machine that was giving them whatever they wanted. And the reality is, that's not who God is. So Jesus says they believed, but they were not saved. It was not a believing, say, a, a salvation, a salvific belief. It was not a, a saving belief, a saving faith. So that's what we have here. The Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said. So she shared her testimony, and they believed in the Messiah because of her testimony, but that doesn't mean they were saved. And this is an important thing I don't want us to miss. We, I'm running out of time, so i got to go fast. Think about this. How many people say they believe in Jesus when you talk to them? When you go to the grocery store and you're checking out and you start talking to the lady and she says her whole life's a mess and you say, well, do you, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I guarantee if you asked her, do you believe in, in Abraham Lincoln? She'd be like, yeah, I believe in Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, historical figures, right? The question is, do you trust in Jesus in these moments? Do you have a saving faith? in him. Faith means to trust. So when you are sharing your testimony, that's a good thing. It's good to share your testimony, right? Look at the the man who told me everything that I've ever done. Man, look at what God did in my life. He changed me. The question is, does that does your testimony save anybody? No. Salvation doesn't come just from believing in a story about someone else. So, how can we see what happens. Well, let's continue. He says um, in verse 40, so when the Samaritans came, so her testimony was the impetus or the, the, the motivating factor to get them to come out of town. They asked him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. So not only did he derail his travel plans, he extended his stay at the Samaritan Inn at Sychar uh, Express and he stayed there for a little bit longer and Verse 41 says, many more believed because of what he said. And then this is what they told the woman. Listen to this. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard ourselves and, this is a key word, know that this really is the Savior of the world. So if we would have joy in the harvest, If we would do the will and the work of the Father, our job is to evangelize from within. Use the circumstances where you are. You don't have to go necessarily, you could, 
but you don't have to go across the world to share the gospel because you have a neighbor who needs Jesus right now. You don't have to um, get some strategy or some plan. You have to be nourished on the living word. You have to be nourished by Christ, by imitating him, by obeying him, by knowing the word. Uh, this harvest is done by sowing and reaping. Some of you will, will share the gospel and plant the seed. You will invite people to see Jesus, but they may not ever know him until later down the road. So don't be discouraged about what you are called to do, where you are called to do it. But we can all rejoice when people come to the Lord. We need to have a deeper understanding of this living faith. One thing I do want to emphasize, though, we love knowledge, don't we? We're kind of a little bit spoiled. We have a pastor who went to seminary who's supposed to know some stuff, I guess. I know some stuff. You have men and women who have studied the Bible their whole lives. And they have all this knowledge. We know the backgrounds. We know about Jacob's well. We could probably recreate pictures of Israel. We could draw the maps. We could put the, the, you know, the capitals and, and all the cities. But do we know God? Do we know Christ? Because I think a lot of times we spend all of our time piddling about prophecy and reveling in revelation. And people don't even know the fundamentals of the faith. We're so wrapped up on pinpointing when Christ will return and looking at the events of today and saying the end time is near. Well, it's true. It is near. It's very near. Every minute it comes nearer. But you have people that are sitting next to you that don't even know the fundamentals. They know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Our job is to know Jesus and then to help other people know Jesus. It's kind of like we are studying the plans of the Titanic while the ship is sinking and people just need a lifeboat. So my question is, are we spending all of our time getting knowledge, filling our brain with some interesting information, some factoids that we can share at the dinner party or debates that we can have about... Um, the prophets, or let me tell you a cool story about Noah's Ark. Let me tell you what gopher wood is. Or are we really telling people how to get on the ark? The question is, how can we do the will and the work of the Father? How can we have joy in this life? Well, we can reap and we can sow. So the question is, how are you reaping and how are you sowing? Are you enjoying the harvest? Or are you filling your mind with things that make you happy? My, my whole goal this morning was for you to enjoy sowing and reaping. I want you to enjoy the process of sharing Jesus with those around you. Because we get to reap the harvest. Because it's more than just a knowledge about Christ, but knowledge of Christ. My, uh, my hope for you is if you are in this room and you know about Jesus, maybe you know the story, maybe you know the information, but you don't know him, that you would come and talk to me, that you would come talk to one of our elders, that you would talk to somebody that you look at and say, you know what, that person knows Jesus. And find out, how can you know Jesus? Now, I want to encourage you, if you know Christ, if you are a person in this room and you've been walking with the Lord your whole life or a, lot, a long portion of it, you maybe had some 
ups and some downs, that you would find someone else to help walk through this, this, this journey that we have together. Uh, you may be just barely further along, but how can you help them have faith in the living God? That's what I challenge you to do this week. Look for opportunities to help people get to know Christ, not just about Him, but truly know Him. Can you trust Him? I said the answer is very simple. Yes. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that You would help our congregation have joy. Joy and peace that passes all understanding. When we look at the life of Christ and we look at the cross, we see Jesus living joyfully, not doing His own will, but doing the will that You have commanded. Father, what a, a beautiful picture of what it looks like to follow Christ. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be like the disciples that are willing to follow Christ to death. That we would be like the martyrs that would put our own needs, wants, and desires on the back burner because it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things would be added. Lord, I pray that your joy would abound in the lives of everyone in this room. Father, if there are people in here that don't have the joy of the Lord, that they would realize it's because they've been piddling around with their own preferences, that they've been investing their energies in their own interests, and that you would encourage us to find true joy. Joy of seeing someone come to the Lord. The joy of seeing someone's life transformed from darkness to light. The joy of a harvest that is so plentiful. Lord, as I look at the town of Sierra Vista, I see people hungry to know you. I see a, a harvest that is ripe and ready, yet no one to tell them the good news. Father, I pray that you would help us to get out of ourselves, get beyond ourselves, get over ourselves, and that we would seek you. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.